What is up, PGA enthusiasts? We are back with another week of some DFS action, and I am super pumped for this week. I, uh, I, as you might remember, a few months ago, I took a nice little vacation to Bermuda, happened to play this course twice. So as I'm already a course expert on most courses that we break down, I am definitely a course expert here as I've played it twice in the last couple of months. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to give you the insights. I'll tell you what I saw while I was out there. Uh, you know, my game won't help you because I'm terrible. But, but I do know what the holes look like for sure. Uh, and I can't wait to break it down with my trusted co-host, as always, Spencer. Sia, how you guys doing tonight? Hey, Spencer, can you believe this show off? He's like, he's basically <laughs> what he just told the audience was, I make so much money on PGA <laughs> DFS that I can go anywhere I want and play on any course I want. And it wasn't very subtle, Joel. So um, I'm sorry, I can't do those things. I don't win as much as Joel, but I'm happy to be part of the show with Joel because maybe I can one day. Yeah, well, and I mean, this field is declining by the second. So you said you weren't very good, Joel, but uh, you might be in this field before it's all said and done. And the funny thing is, it's like, if you notice, there's like a handful of guys who like in the projections where they have zero because they're just guys from Bermuda who are like good that are just like filling in the tournament. They have no record of ever playing any professional tournaments before. And like, that's like, they're really scraping the barrel to be able to fill up this field. So um I think at some level, that's a good thing because while it is a cut event, you know, we can narrow our pool down a little bit more where mm -hmm. we really have some guys that we want to target from a DFS angle, whereas there's a lot of just like garbage at the bottom that you can easily ignore it and really hone in on, on what's worth it. So with that being said, you know, it is for, for those of you who aren't familiar with Port Royal, it is a beautiful golf course. So if you can get to watch it on TV at all, uh, check it out. There's some really just like stunning, really fun holes to kind of take a look at. Um, but in, outside of just the, the look appeal, uh, let's break down the course. Or what are we looking for from a DFS perspective? You know, for me, it is a short course. Um, I don't know how much that means. You know, I remember being on some holes and thinking, how can a professional, how can I have a professional tournament here? Because if I can almost reach the green, these mm -hmm. guys can easily reach the green. So there are, I'm sure they're going to make them a little bit longer than you know, the, the boxes that I played, but um, it definitely is a short course and there's definitely some reachable holes and things like that. Uh, Sia, what are you looking at for, for the course this week? Yeah, so first of all, I'm definitely looking at the weather because I, I want to know if there's going to be some huge advantage, you know, Thursday a.m., you know, p.m. type thing. So I think that's something I only bring that up because I, I do think this is one of the few tournaments where you really do need to monitor that. Maybe it's going to even out. Maybe it's not a big deal. But then again, maybe it is. And maybe you can gain an advantage. So it, you know, I almost kind of like give my picks out this week with some reservation because I, I don't know. None of us really know and can pinpoint that. But with all of that said, I, I think I'm looking for accuracy off the tee predominantly in terms of accuracy over distance for obvious reasons. This is a par 71, 6,800 yards um, distance. Listen, the last two winners here, are the only two winners here, because we this is only the third year, Brendan Todd and Brian Gay. And these are very short hitters. That doesn't mean a long hitter is not in play, but obviously the point is anybody who's basically 7K and above, I mean, maybe there's a couple 6K darts. They're all like kind of in play here. So accuracy, you know, approach is obviously going to be critical here. Um, and then I think the short game is is important too. So I know I'm kind of just listing off basic metrics. I know we have Spencer to kind of like deep dive into that, but obviously, you know, you guys know that there's some a handful, a good amount of shorter par fours. 
there's a few long par threes. So, I mean, I definitely want to see, I want to see who grades out well in those departments as well. There's only three par fives. I mean, I think they're going to be reachable by pretty much everyone. So that's just what I'm looking at so far. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Spencer, please indulge us. How have you broken down Port Royale? Yeah, so Port Royal Golf Course is positioned right on the Atlantic Ocean coastline. Uh, we can get into what that means from a weather strategy standpoint shortly, but there doesn't seem to be too many hidden variables that we need to discover. I believe what shows on the surface is pretty much what we should expect from a statistical standpoint. Now, it wouldn't be a model of mine if I didn't put my own twist to those categories that I attached to weight, but this looks to be one of those weeks where sticking to the obvious is the way to go. The venue as a whole plays as the second shortest on tour behind only Pebble Beach. And while it might sound redundant to highlight that the property is just 6,828 yards, I mention it because it gets even more emphasized when you look at the construction of the layout. Uh, most of the yardage is baked into three of the four par threes, as Sia said, uh, with those holes ranking as your most difficult. Each features between a 26.1 and 32.5% bogey or worse rate, and the yardage stretches between 213 to 235 yards at those three setups. Uh, that, of course, means if we're going to get an enhancement there, we have to lose elsewhere since this is already a reduced yardage total. And we see that with 11 par fours and three par fives. Uh, I'm going to count the par four fourth that measures 458 yards as being 400 to 450 yards, which gives us six between 350 to 400 and five from 400 to 450. The three par fives are extremely gettable at 553, 517, and 507. The par 5 7th accounted for 17% of DK points in 2019 and allowed 242 birdies to go along with 25 eagles. If you aren't scoring on those three holes, your weekend will probably get cut short. And despite having one less than your standard par 72, I'm always going to weigh the category when we're talking about eagle rates ranging between 1.8 to 4.7%. Uh, the last part of the equation is the weather that you guys kind of mentioned a little bit into this, but... I am not going to get overly concerned with trying to pinpoint a specific weather split. Now, if we see something drastic, sure, it might marginally come into play and maybe I'll change my tune with that. But we aren't talking about a more volatile location where gusts will come and go. This is coastal golf where breezes will be steady throughout the day. So with that being said, I started with 12.5% on strokes gain total in moderate to severe wind and 12.5% on strokes gain total on courses under 7,200 yards. I wanted to get a strong correlation of strokes gain data with information pertinent to this week's venue. And I liked how those two stats in particular took two of the most unique and quantifiable aspects of Port Royal and turned them into a measurable total. I did 10% on a weighted slow Bermuda category. Uh, that incorporated a mixture of stats on how golfers have performed during their career when given greens that mimic these. Um, that doesn't include just putting to derive a value, although the flat stick was heavily included for 40% of the aggregate. 10% on weighted par three. I looked at par three average, bogey avoidance, and various iron proximity numbers, mostly those of over 200 yards. 17.5% on weighted par four. That's a combination of holes from 350 to 400, 400 to 450, and overall par four average. 10% on par five birdie or better percentage. I do think you could raise that metric slightly, but these are rather simple and short. It wouldn't shock me if someone caught fire on them that normally doesn't play them well. I made a total driving plus GIR stat for 15%. The total driving was put together from a heavy split in favor of accuracy over distance. And then I took that number and did a very even distribution between GIR and total driving. 
And I ended, ended with proximity from zero to 150 yards for 12 and a half percent. I don't necessarily love what it did to certain players from an overall rank sense in my model, but most of the varying distances outside of the group um, are on the par threes and five, which have already been looked into marginally in other areas. So to sum that up, I'm just essentially going to try to find accurate drivers that will like the conditions they have in front of them this week. And the rest of the data is just trying to mimic the venue by creating a model that embodies key distances and variables that we can see at first glance. I love it. Um, that is, that is very thorough. Uh, and, and that is really helpful. So, you know, the one thing that makes this tournament maybe a little bit more interesting, difficult from a DFS perspective is that, you know, outside of the top, you know, 15, 20 guys, like, a lot of these guys are either brand new up and coming KFT guys who we don't have that much information on, or they're just like bottom of the barrel guys that like barely get invited to tournaments and this just needed to fill this week. So like some of these guys that we're going to have to pick between, you know, aren't these guys that we're seeing normally. And this definitely constitutes as one of those JV tournaments that I always mention, right? This might even just be a freshman tournament because it is pretty weak. It's as one of the weaker fields we'll see, but there are a handful of the top dogs going at it, which, um, you know, does mean I think there's a pretty big gap from that top tier down. So let's get right into it. I mean, I think the top tier to me is definitely the most interesting. Uh, Sia, who are you looking at up there? So, okay. So before we get into that, and, and I, there's a few guys I do like in this top range. I, I did want to give Isaiah a shout out. Um, so we, we are talking about weather, so we may as well address it now a little bit. So it looks like that Thursday a.m. Is, is going to have the advantage as of now. Obviously, this can change tomorrow, but I feel like we may as well give you the information that, that the winds are going to be calmer over the first two days for that Thursday a.m. crowd. Um, and Isaiah and, and Steven, they're all in our in our chat right now talking about that. And I do just want to put this out there again. I don't want to overemphasize it because it could change and it could be the same for everybody. But um, Isaiah was nice enough to give us the top 10 strokes gain total in high winds. OK, take that for what it's worth, because some of these guys in high winds, maybe they don't have a, a super large sample size. Right. So it, it's really hard to ne like definitively say these guys are great in high winds. However, there are strokes gain total for these things. So I'm just going to list them off because there's a few names in here that I actually like that will be featured at the end of the show and in the middle of the show with my first round leaders in outright cards. So let me just name them real quick before we get into this top range. Boho, Fitzpatrick, Knox, Crane, O'Hare, Hearn. Kramer Hickok, Romero, Patrick Rogers, Lee Hodges. So those are guys that we have some information on that are pretty good in, in high winds. And uh, I like a handful of those, to be honest. So Isaiah, thanks for that contribution. I think he's going to be with us for the entire show. And one other thing, and I think I have license to say this um, on the air because I, I did talk to him earlier. I uh, All three of us know this. We, we want to wish Antonio, who may or may not be watching, maybe we can cut this clip for him and send it to him, but He's one of our golf writers. He puts out an excellent article weekly. He also does some NFL work as well uh, for the NFL team at Wind Daily Sports. Uh, he contracted COVID a few days ago. And because of a, a variety of issues that occurred, they, he had to go to the hospital. And they're addressing that right now. And he seems to be in, in pretty good spirits. And, and I think he's going to be out by the end of the week. But um, he's part of our family and uh, the Wind Daily Sports and the PGA family. And this just entire DFS community. And we know that that community was sort of met by tragedy with a uh, NFL DFS writer just a few weeks ago. Um, Antonio is in a much different path, but I did want to wish him well. And I'm sure you guys do as well. For sure. Antonio, get better, man. You know, we, our team is never going to be as strong without you. So as soon as you get back, the sooner we can get back to full steam ahead. So the best wishes to you, Antonio. 
Yeah, definitely, Antonio. Get better soon, buddy. Awesome. So, Joel, let me let me get to that question. Um, and this is interesting. We've got uh, Wes in the chat. Hayden Buckley for the win. We'll we'll get to him. Don't worry. Just just in a little bit. Isaiah, best wishes for Antonio. So there's three guys I like here. I'm going to keep it quick, and I'm going to let you guys fire off as to who you like. But the guys I like are Christian Bezedenhut, um, Mito Pereira, and Seamus Power. Uh, I think I like Cebes and Seamus Power the best for a couple different reasons. One is I suspect ownership will be a touch lower on the both of them relative to Mito, but you know, you guys can flush that out for me. Um, I just like Cebes's approach game. I mean, obviously he doesn't, Mito has distance and that's great. It's kind of a luxury here. I would see the same for Hayden Buckley, by the way. He has distance, which is going to be minimized here, but Hayden Buckley is kind of good at all the other stuff too, just, just as Mito Pereira granted. The Buckley thing, the sample size is a little shorter, but I think I like the idea of a guy who can really pop on approach. And I know Christian Bazan who can do that. Um, and then as far as Seamus Power, I mean, he's just a classic ball striker. Wind or no wind, these ball strikers are probably going to succeed because of how they flush it uh, and their, their precision in general. So Seamus Power rates out really well. Long game, short game, you name it, he's there. So those are the three I like. I think Power is my favorite. For the record, he's Thursday p.m. So again, take that for what it's worth. But um, I did want to make a note of that. Yeah, no, I, I like it. Spence, who are you looking at up here? Yeah, so I'm way lower on the $9,000 range this week than most. And it kind of goes to what you're saying, Joel. I, I think there is a difference between the 10,000s and the 9,000s. I think there's a lot of $8,000 golfers that you could swap with the $9,000 golfers and you probably get a, a better board, I guess would be the way to say that with that, but uh, I'll run through these five golfers because I do generally like this group as a whole. Um, I I think that it's not inconceivable to start in the 9,000s. I don't think it's inconceivable to start in the 8,000s, but I do think that you have four guys up here that I really like that. It's kind of splitting hairs of what you're going to do. So uh, Fitzpatrick ranked seventh overall in my model. That includes placing inside the top 10 when it comes to strokes gained off the tee over his past 24 rounds. So Bermuda putting, wind, short courses, and weighted total driving. This feels like the type of course and field where he should be one of the favorites to take home the title. I don't love that my model has him as the fifth most popular choice as of right now, but it's hard to say he isn't playable in most game types. Uh, I agree with Sia. I really like Christian Bezadenhout. I think he's priced exactly where he should be. Uh, He ranks inside the top 16 in five of the eight categories I ran, which includes not finishing outside of 59th anywhere. He's been a little worse on slow Bermuda, surprisingly, if we're just looking at putting splits, but it's a marginal drop-off for somebody that plays his best golf in windy conditions. The one I'm not as high on is Mito Pereira as the rest of the industry. He's still ranked 10th overall for me, so it's not as if he can't find success, but I do have some hesitation with him on a course where putting will matter. He's currently the highest projected home player on the board, and that's something I like to fade when my mat adds up to saying that I should be fading a person. His upside rank is negative for me, making him the only choice above $10,000 to fall under that classification. Uh, if I was going to play him, I prefer cash, but even still, I'd rather just move up to Bezadenhout or Fitzpatrick. Reed's looking like the contrarian pivot of the group. My early projections have him just above 10%. The current form has not been good since returning from his battle with pneumonia that placed him in the hospital. Uh, we see that with him averaging negative 6.76 shots T to green over his past three starts. That makes him GPP only, but I wouldn't put it past him getting himself into contention. The field's weak. He's the only American inside the top 100 playing this tournament. And I'm willing to take a shot on his upside if it means I'm getting him as the odd man out. And I also like Seamus too. I think he's fairly priced. I think he's going to be accurately owned between 15 to 20%. 
I've been saying it even before he went on this run a few months ago that he's a borderline elite golfer from a statistical perspective. And this is the perfect course for him to continue his hot run. So other than Mito, I will find myself invested in the other four choices in at least some market. Uh, the whole group seems to be fairly priced and the win equity is better than meets the eye. You can probably get contrarian right off the bat if you want to play Reed. And I don't think the ownership is wild enough on Fitzpatrick, Vizadenhout, or Sheamus to the point where they're unplayable. Uh, but there are a lot of routes you can go uh, based off of all those answers there. Yeah, and let me, Joel, before you go, let me just say real quick, I, I did mention Mito. I almost I almost mentioned it out of obligation because the few teams or, or lineups that I've actually drafted already, I went ahead and grabbed Sheamus and Bezenhut and ignored Mito and went right down to the low 7K range and then continued my lineup from there. So I don't know if that's going to be a popular type of build. It may be a little popular this week to do that because I think that low 7K range is kind of rich. But I just wanted to make it clear, I largely agree with Spencer. While I think we would both agree Mito has plenty of upside, He's not he's not even close to my top in 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 terms of these five at the top. Yeah, I'm 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 taking a pretty big stance this week. I think from the there's the biggest discrepancy from this top range to the rest of the field than I can remember in recent memory. I just mm-hmm. think there is such a big gap from these top five guys to everyone else. And the price isn't like, you know, there's sometimes where like, you know, when uh, you know, when Rom is hot, they price him up at 12K and it's like, okay, well, that's a lot. Like, how do I really afford him? It's not that wide, right? It's just one tier, a couple hundred bucks. I think these guys are head and shoulders above the rest of the field. So my strategy this week is to little hammer in this top range as much as possible, get as much exposure to these top guys as I can. Obviously, you're going to have to dip down a little bit to the 7K range to balance it out. But I'm like, like, like Spencer was saying earlier, I don't think there's as wide a gap from the 7K range up to the 9K range as there's going to be from these guys to everyone else. So I'm okay with kind of balancing it out down to 7K and just cramming in as much as these guys as possible. If I had to tier them, I like them all. You know, I'm skittish playing a guy coming off a win because I just think guys don't usually win back-to-back tournaments. And, you know, you could there is something to this course fits him well. But as the most expensive, expensive guy coming off a win, I think Fitzpatrick, is, is the one guy who I'm probably lowest on, but you know, I don't dislike him, right? I just, you have to pick between the five guys I like most. Um, I love, you know, for, especially me, since I'm playing mainly GPPs, absolutely love Patrick Reed. I mean, just look at this field when you put his name next to some of these guys that he's competing against. It's like, what? Right. And so, like, when the price isn't that big of a difference and pretty good ownership for Patrick Reed in this field, um, he, he's going to bounce back. I mean, he's he's not completely lost. He had a sickness. He struggled. Can I promise to bounce back is this week? No, but the course sure does fit his game, right? You want a guy who's good around the green, good short game, that, that's Patrick Reed, and he's definitely on paper the best pedigree golfer in this tournament. So love me some Reed. Um, and then, yeah, I think I'm certainly aligned with everything you guys said about power. Um, I like Bez. And I like Mito too. You know, the, the issue with Mito is that he is the highest owned. You know, there's going to be a lot of people playing him this week. Uh, but do I think Mito can go out and win this week? I sure do. So, you know, he'll be in the mix for me with the rest of this top tier. Uh, now let's cut down to the 9K range. Uh, I think this is interesting because there are some guys here that I think could make some noise. And I think, you know, I'm not saying anything new. I don't think there's other people that see the same thing that they really want to be in this top tier. So I think it is a way to get different if you want to kind of start in this 9K range and find guys that can compete. So how are we going to be able to do that, Spencer? Kick us off. I guess I'll start with the elephant in the room that will be Adam Hadwin. Uh, he'll likely be the highest owned player in this section, but if I was going to use him, I would rather do it in cash. 
Yeah. Uh, that's probably a contrarian take here. I don't really love his upside. And to be honest, I don't love his safety comparing his price tag to my rank on him. He's missed three of his last seven cuts, uh, making him someone that was a better play in my eyes when he was priced in the 7,000s, not the 9,000s. And as I said, like, I don't love this range in general. So I'm not going to find myself here for the most part. But the two golfers that I will have some exposure to, Matthias Schwab, 9,700, which I will get to that in a second, and uh, Chad Rainey, 9,500. So if you want to use the argument that Schwab is overpriced, you aren't going to get a rebuttal from me on that. But I don't think he's any more so than whatever name you want to mention in this group. The only difference is that you're going to be able to get him at the fraction of the popularity. Uh, a more proper price tag would likely have been into the high to mid-low 8,000s. But we're talking about a golfer that's still projected to be less than 3% owned while ranking inside the top 30 of my upside plays. Uh, the mindset behind him is purely large field GPPs, but I don't mind throwing him into lineups with a ton of entries because of the leverage he creates. If the ownership projection climbs substantially for any reason, I'm fine getting off entirely. And Ramey checks a ton of boxes. He ranks second when it comes to strokes gain approach uh, and is an excellent driver of the ball that can score with the best of them on par fives. Uh, as I was saying, if you want to get super contrarian, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities to start a lineup with him. Um, maybe you start up in the $8,000 range. The only other person that caught my eye that I'm going to mention was Taylor Pendrith at 9,100. My model actually has him as the best contrarian pivot of the group. I just worry that he's best suited for a course that allows him to use his driver more than Port Royal will. And there's a lot of guys in that. Like Hayden Buckley was one that we just talked about a second ago. He would be better with his driver. A guy like Brandon Hagee, like these are guys that when distance comes into play, I like them more on a course like this. I'm looking for accuracy, guys. So for me, Ramey, um, Schwab are probably the two that I really will have any real exposure to. I like it. I like it. Uh, Sia, who are you looking at here? Yeah, there's three guys that are are in play for me. And, and I, I don't think I'm going to be rostering them much, but they're definitely in play. So it goes Buckley, Chad Ramey, and Adam Hadwin. I totally agree with the Adam Hadwin thing. He's probably a better cash play if you're going to play him. At, at the ownership that I'm seeing for him, it's just too high to play him in GPPs. It's just It doesn't really make a lot of sense from a game theory standpoint, especially considering what Spencer said, of course, his upside. So um, Hayden Buckley and Ramey, I think, are really interesting. I mean, if, if you look at their pedigrees from the Corn Ferry towards it's kind of similar. You know, one guy has an outright win, but the other one has like a few, a handful of top fives just from last year. So, so these guys definitely have some win equity. They're great ball strikers. I agree. Hayden Buckley utilizes off the tee game a little bit more than like a Chad Ramey would, but Hayden Buckley's also been pretty good on, on approach and, and with the short game. I mean, the putter seems to have sort of turned around for Buckley versus the first few tournaments that, um, that he played on the or first couple tournaments he played on the PGA tour. I think Buckley and Ramey are kind of one in the same. Ramey's short game is a little shaky, um, but his approach game is great. And uh, he's not really going to need to utilize off the tee, the, the length too much. So if I had to pick between the two, I would just pick the lower owned of them. Um, but I'm kind of leaning Buckley because I do like where he's been finishing eighth and fourth over his last two in, in his PGA events. Um, that's of course at the Shriners and Sanderson. So that that's pretty impressive to me. Um, clearly, you know, he, he missed his first cut over at the Fortnet. I believe Ramey did as well, but both of them have bounced back. So if their ownership is, is relatively low, I don't mind either of them, but that's it in the nine K range for me. Nobody else. Yeah, and I'm I'm in a very similar boat. I mean, as you heard, I'm all in on the top range. So it's going to be hard to get too much exposure here because you can't afford everyone. So I think if I were to target guys in this range, I, I, I'm with you. I think Buckley and Ramey are interesting. I think Patrick Rogers would be someone I might consider. 
uh, especially because he's the lower end of the range, so I can fit more of him in, and he's more of an experienced guy on tour. Um, I think Isaiah made a good point in the chat with with uh, Willett. I think Willett's interesting as he's a, you know, let's keep this in mind, right? There is something, I think I'm giving a plus to guys who are just seasoned PGA pros, right? There's not mm-hmm. a lot of them in this tournament, and, you know, that gets a bit of a boost to guys who are used to competing with these more competitive fields. This isn't that competitive of a field, but, you know, all things considered, I guess it would be the KF or the Corn Ferry Tour all-star team, right? So um, I prefer to lean toward maybe the worst PGA player versus the better Corn Ferry player. So just some things to think about there. One thing to consider too, and I don't know if you want to factor this in, but of the top 15 priced players, the top 15, only three of them have experience on this course. Again, this is only a third event here. So do you want to factor that in? Maybe, maybe not. And the maybe not part is because none of them really finished very well. The three that actually have experience are Seamus Power, 37th and 31st, uh, Danny Willett at 55th, and Patrick Rogers, 59th, and miscut. So the experience here hasn't been great for them, but at least they've seen, other than Seamus, he's been okay, top 40 in both. But um, that's just something to consider. As we go down sort of the the role here, we're going to see a lot of guys with really good course history here. So I mean, it'll come down to whether we actually factor that in. But it is interesting to note that there's not many guys at the top that have seen this course. Yeah, it's just it's just Joel and Seamus Powell. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I think that's a really fair point. Um, you know, one thing I'll add now that we're talking about the course that I have already mentioned, shameless plug, I've played twice in the last couple of months. Um, I will say, because no one has mentioned this yet, this is factually, I'm not even joking around, a very hilly course. A lot of these holes are uphill, so – even though it's very short, uh, we are you are playing uphill a lot on this course and a lot of the, the more difficult holes as well. So just keep that in mind. It might be a little bit more kind of hidden distance because of that than meets the eye. Um, all right, let's just dive into this 8K range. I think this 8K range is interesting. I think, Spencer, you were saying it earlier where it's like a lot of these guys, I would rank ahead of the 9K range guy. So you know, this is where you find your value in the guys that I think are better than the guys in the, the range above. And we can have a better chance of squeezing them into our lineup. So Spencer, why don't you kick us off here? Yeah. I mean, as you said, I think you could easily swap a handful of these guys for the $9,000 range. Like to me, Ramey would be the one guy that maybe that doesn't fit true with it, but uh, Sahit the Gala 8,800 looks like a nice bargain. My math I use suggested he should be a minimum of 9,300. My model was fine with him being as high as 9,600. So there does appear to be a value in the price. Part of the reason is the recency bias of him burning the industry at the Shiners, but it was a weird opening round for him there. The fact that he missed the cut on the number is forgivable. I love his ability to scramble and avoid making big numbers. We see those two strengths with his ranks of being first in bogey avoidance and second in scrambling. That's a good combination to possess if the wind turns violent. I really like Guido Migliozzi at $8,700. I've been happy to see his ownership projection steadily going into the decline since yesterday. When I did my Be The Number podcast, he was the second most popular choice on the board, but he's now barely cracking the top 10 in my model. Uh, That shift has made him a value across the board for me. And even if the popularity picks up marginally, he looks to be good chalk in my opinion. He ranks third in my weighted par four category, ninth in windy conditions, and eighth at courses under 7,200 yards. I think Stallings and McCarthy are fine. I probably prefer each of them for cash. Instead, if we're speaking GPPs here, I don't mind taking a shot on Steven Yeager at $8,400. You know, for all the love around Mito Pereira, 
Jaeger was the top point scorer on the Corn Ferry Tour last year and looks like a value because of his short iron proximity and bogey avoidance numbers. Uh, some of my math is lower on him because of the three tournaments I have in my system this year. But this is the perfect venue for him to provide a big result. At 5 to 6%, he has real potential to win this event if everything comes together. And I'm not going to try to talk anyone off of Ryan Armour. Back-to-back eighth-place showings at the venue. I don't love his form of where it is entering the week, but he earned his 13th-place rank in my model from how he stacked up statistically and not because of his past results here. Uh, there were only a handful of players to rank inside of the top 30 in both par-4 scoring between 350 to 400 and 400 to 450. He was one of them. Uh, the rest of the group, just to throw it out there, was Joseph Bramlett, Seamus Power, Nick Taylor, Harry Hall, Bo Hogue, Camilo Vajegas, Patrick Reed, Brian Stewart, Guido Migliozzi, and Scott Stalling. So there's a lot of $8,000 golfers in there that fit that little one threshold thing I was looking at. It's interesting. That's a good point. Um, Sia, who are, how about you? Who are you looking at here in this range? Yeah, I'm going to keep it short here because I haven't really, when making lineups, I haven't really gone here too much. I think Guido Migliozzi is really interesting, and I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to get him into some lineups for sure. Um, Denny McCarthy, I think, I think it's going to be a pass for me. I mean, the the course history here is really great with the fourth and fifteenth, but the form just isn't really good at all. And I and I just, I'd be more inclined to go to like a Ryan Armour, whose form also hasn't been great lately. And, and he also has that requisite course history. Um, I think he's he's just a great course fit, and I just like his form coming into this a lot better. And honestly, Ryan Armour is probably the other guy in this 8K range that I really like um, for the reasons that Spencer laid out there. I mean, his course history here is great. His course fit is great. And uh, the other guy I'll bring up that I think is going to go, and I'm, I'm looking at his ownership now, I think he's going to go pretty much ignored, although it's a little higher than I thought it would be. He's got a lot of experience. And Joel, you just said you're kind of looking for the more seasoned player. This guy's actually played in majors on the tour as well, not just PGA Tour events here and there. And he's a name that nobody, everybody just glosses over. It's David Lipsky at 8K. He doesn't, re, he's not really going to do anything great, but I, I just think in this field, it's, a, it's an interesting GPP play. So um, Lipsky's my other guy in this range. So for me, it's going to be Guido. It's going to be Ryan Armour and David Lipsky. I'm probably out on everybody else. Yeah, I think it's good. I think we're all pretty aligned in this range. Uh, I, I think my my plays look pretty similar to yours. Uh, I think it's interesting. You guys didn't mention Sahith Tagala, who, you know, well, Spencer we did. Oh, Spencer, you did mention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he could be interesting. I think he'll be someone that, that will make my player pool because he has a lot of upside. Now, he's the type of guy that will either like miss the cut or get you a top 20. Um, so he's definitely very volatile. I don't think I would like him as much in cash. But I do think he has enough upside where I'll, I will sprinkle a few shares in because uh, I do like the way he competes. And, um, you know, he, he's a, he's good for scoring as well in that, you know, even if he doesn't uh, necessarily – if he gets a bunch of bogeys and doesn't necessarily compete in the tournament, he should score well, get a lot of birdies and things like that. Um, yeah, let, let me just let me just pick up on on Thigala real quick because I, I know Spencer addressed him uh, with the model uh, and, and whatnot. But let's say okay, so the last three he hasn't played many PGA Tour events, but he played the Shriners, Sanderson, Fortnet. He gained ball striking 
two strokes or more in each of those events. So it was 2.08, 3.48, 3.98. That's just ball striking, which of course is off the tee and approach combined. He gained around the green in each of those tournaments as well. And as far as the putter is concerned, he lost three, he lost four, but then he gained three. So that's good volatility, right? With the putter, we're kind of looking for that. Of course, you can lose with the putter, but do you have the ability and potential to gain with the putter? So you take that upside with the putter, with what we're seeing, uh, which is like kind of like a level, you know, a level sort of ball striking number at two or more. Again, it's a smaller sample size and around the green. I mean, this is the type of person that could just sneak up on everybody and win this damn thing. So it's yeah. just, I, I'm not calling it, but, but these numbers speak to me. Yeah. And, and we talked about it a little bit too. Like one of the things that I noted from, uh, from my other show that I found out he had that wrist injury that he had to overcome. Mm -hmm. So he's overcome that now. And his short game is something he's been working on over the last season to try to get that better. And you see it from a statistical perspective. He's really increased his numbers across the board with that. And, you know, I mean, I agree, Sia. Like, if he won this tournament, it wouldn't be a shock to anybody. I think he's a really good, talented young player. Mm -hmm. That that wrist injury information, Spencer, that that you dropped, and I know it was it was on the beat the number pod from a couple months ago. Um, but that was like that was pretty big information because we we, we see this all the time. You know, th these golfers they don't have to disclose their injuries. It's just not something that is is mandated by the PGA Tour. We saw it with Harris English last year, where he was deplorable for however many months, and we're like, oh, I guess Harris English just lost it. And then you know he starts playing well, and he's like, oh yeah, I had that back injury, and everybody's like. Oh, I'm sorry. What back injury? And it's just one of those things where those are really significant in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and with that said, that is, I mean, if you're looking for edges, I mean, that you should be looking at injuries first. And if you're over, if you've overcome an injury and you're starting to strike the ball well and putt well and do all those things, um, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, and he's less than 10% and, and he has the upside that's like just as good as anybody in that range. So I, I really like his upside for this. Yeah, I uh, well, I was in on Thigala, and now I just turned the volume up. Now I'm all the way. Let's let's get some more shares in. I I'm sold. Uh, now continue to look down this range. I think a lot of these guys are good plays. They're similar. Like I like Guido. Um, uh, I think I, I I think a lot of the points you made about Yager are interesting. I think there's some good points for for reasons to play him with some upside. I love me some Mia Moore, Ryan Armore. I love Mia Moore this week. Uh, at the bottom of the range, you can squeeze him in. I think he's a good course fit. And that's like the epitome of uh, my kind of theory of like, hey, this is a, a true pro who has tons of experience in these tournaments, which to me means a little bit more consistency than some of these guys who, you know, it's still kind of new to them. And, you know, we haven't seen as much. So, again, the discount with him, you sign me up. I'm definitely in for that. Now, the 7K range is the one, you know, and, you know, I'll say it again when we get there. But, like, I'm, there's very few plays I want to look at in the 6K range because I just think that's really starting to dive deep here. There's some guys that probably don't even belong in the tournament down there. So, like, we can easily erase, like, most of that range. So, the 7K range is really where I'm going to be spending a lot of my time because for someone who's already said I'm cramming in this top range, you got to balance that out. So, and if I'm not going to the 6K range, it's going to be living here. So, I think there's going to be a lot of value in the 7K range. Uh, for us to find. Uh, Spencer, do you want to kick us off here? Yeah, I love this $7,000 range. And, and I will keep this answer pretty simple, but provide a bunch of names to take in for everybody. So in 10 of the past 13 tournaments, my model was higher than DraftKings on the golfer that won the event. 
in 11, or I'm sorry, in 13 of those, in all 13 of those, it was higher in some iteration when it came to rank versus ownership. And in 12 of the 13, the player ranked somewhere between first to 18th. Uh, I would not be shocked if the winner of this tournament ended up coming in this range. So let me list all the guys that qualify for those three statistics I just said. So Nick Hardy, 7,900. Alex Smalley, 7,600. Nick Taylor, 7,400, missed by one spot in 19th overall. I don't believe that should take him out of the running. Matthew Neesmith, 7,300, technically qualified, but I'm not sure if I can keep doing this with him every single week. It's not worked one time I've ever played him. So uh, Neesmith is technically a qualifier of it. I'm not sure if I can get myself there. Harry Hall, 7,200. Brian Stewart, 7,100. Bo Hogue, 7,000. And Kramer Hickox at 7,000. So those were guys all inside of that top 18. Uh, you know, they had been better on the DraftKings in my model and in a couple other areas with that. If I stretch out the data a little to include all top 30 golfers, Lebiota barely missed because of his ownership. And Aaron Rye and Lee Hodges both qualify at 7,300. Interesting. I like the way you, did, you broke that down. Um, I think it's a good way to kind of take a look at it. Uh, Sia, how about you? Who'd you have here in this range? So Russell Knox is is looks like he's going to be pretty popular, which is a little annoying. It may, makes him maybe a cash play, but definitely not a GPP play. Maybe we'll do good chalk, bad chalk in a few minutes. Um, he's he's been really good here. Top two top twenties in the only two tournaments here. And honestly, if if you're emphasizing approach, I mean, this guy never loses on approach. I know his finishing positions haven't really been that good overall, but. He, he may have lost two or three times on approach since last, like, March. I mean, truly, the problem with him mainly, other than off the tee, which won't be a – distance won't be a big deal here, his around the green and, and putting game is pretty, pretty awful. So he he can spike with the putter. It's possible. I, we, we've seen it recently. So I think he's an interesting play. But if he's going to be highly owned, it's it's probably not for me. And then I go right down to the low 7K range from there. Um, let's start with – I mean, Harry Hall is really interesting. He 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 was really good at the Shriners. Um, I think I, I'm trying to remember who it was. Oh, it was Coach. Coach who tweeted out something to me and maybe Spencer about how Harry Hall at the Shriners, he had played that course a few days earlier and shot like a like his best, like 12 under. He shot like a 60 on the par 72 or something. And we, you know, I mentioned him on, on our show and he ended up finishing eighth. Like, what a great call. And th this guy is, is very sneaky. He's not going to be very highly owned at all. Jason Duffner is one of my favorite guys here. Speaking of guys who are just so impressive on approach, uh, I really like Jason Duffner. I like where the state of his game is right now. So he's a guy I'm definitely going to be playing. Um, going down the list, I think Brian Stewart is interesting. Good course fit. His history here isn't very good. Um, and I think his recent history is pretty bad too. So that's that's a little iffy. And then I'm just going to go ahead and agree on Bo Hogue and Kramer Hickok. But I definitely like Bo Hogue more. I think Kramer Hickok is far more volatile. But I think Bo Hogue is, is actually a good golfer. And I, I'm hoping we get a chance to see that this week. Yeah. yeah I, I, go ahead. So, sorry, Joe. I just want to say one thing about the Harry Hall thing that you mentioned. And I want to say too, I like Jason Duffner. I think that's a good call on your part, Sia. But I... I want to temper expectations with what I'm about to say a little bit because I only am looking at two tournaments from Hall in my model, one of which being that tournament you just mentioned, Sia, where he came in eighth at a Vegas course. He played countless times while attending UNLV, but he was the number one golfer in my model from those two showings. Uh, 
There's some other data when looking at the strokes gain ranks that I have on him. But even when I try to regress some of his information back, he still grades as a top 10 play for me. So even if he's not technically the number one golfer, I think he's a really good price here at $7,200. And I don't think that the ownership, I mean, right now I'm looking at less than 10%. And I do think he actually has real upside to win this tournament, which is kind of wild to say about somebody like this. But I, I think Hall can compete. The one thing I'll say about him is, is at the Shriners, you know, he did well. He, he was kind of, he actually lost on approach. He was excellent with the putter. So that's, that's not a bad thing, he, but he gained over five strokes with the putter. So it's kind of one of those things, you know, if he goes back to, you know, if he regresses a little bit there, he could be in trouble, but again, he's, he's in the low seven K range. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. He, he, obviously he'd be up there with Buckley and Ramey if he was just hammering it on approach and gaining five with the putter. So, you know, you take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I think that that totally makes sense. Um, you know, not someone I was on before the show, but now I am, I'm sold. So let's take a deeper look at Hall for sure. Uh, I think there's some guys, I think most of the guys you guys mentioned, I like, there's a few guys we left out, uh, that, that I'll just t quickly touch on. I think Mark Hubbard could be interesting as, uh, uh, I forgot to mention him. I actually love Mark Hubbard. I'm sorry. I, I forgot to okay. mention him. I'm with you on Forgiven. that. Accepted yeah. into the Mark Hubbard fan club. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, again, he's another one of those guys that we've seen. Like, you know, he usually does pop in these JV tournaments where he's maybe a bigger name. You know, when he doesn't have to compete against your Roms, your Thomases, things like that. Uh, and again, you know, if he was priced up at like eighty eight hundred, I would oh that makes sense. You know, in this field, but at seventy nine hundred, I think that's a really good value. Um, I also think you know Lucas Herbert who. Not good form, not someone who's been playing well recently, but this is a guy who we've seen pop often on the European tour. Again, another one at this kind of price range, I think he's worth taking a shot on. You know, Russell Knox is someone I would have loved a lot more. I think same concerns you guys. This is just a really high ownership. That doesn't mean I'm going to completely fade him because it's not like, you know, 30%, but I won't be as high on him just because it does seem like he's pretty popular. Um, Another guy that, that kind of got skipped over. Now, he's not a good course fit, but I just think he's a better golfer than a lot of these guys in this field is Dylan Fertelli. Uh, we've seen Dylan Fertelli pop in some majors recently. You know, at this seventy seven or $7,600 price tag and 2% ownership, I think Dylan Fertelli can definitely compete with these guys in this field. So um, I just think this is a, a better golfer than the price is giving him credit for. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of – there's a reason for it, right? He's, he's not in the best current form and things like that. So – this is, that's a risk you got to be willing to take. And then heading down to the bottom here, uh, I know Sia's boy. I think Heckley Abiota is another one who's like, not the best current form, but we've seen him pop. And this is one of those fields where, you know, he should be a, one of the better golfers in this field. I, I would take him over some of these guys in the eight, in 8 and 9K range. So I will go to the back to the Lebiota well this week for sure. He actually scored really well on my model this week. Um, and then heading down to the bottom of this range, a few names to mention, Aaron Rye, uh, I love Duffner with you guys. Stewart, I'm, I'm very high on. Um, you can't deny Brian Gay's course history, uh, but his current form is so pathetic that it's like I almost can get around it because I'm like, I don't know. This isn't the same guy. But And it's also a bit like this tournament's pretty, pretty always JV. So, like, I think this is actually a stronger field than it normally gets. So, I don't think, you know, I, I just – I may give him a little respect because he has that strong history, but I can't, I won't really be too heavy on him there. So for the most part, and obviously I'm aligned with, with Bo Hogue and Bo Hostler, both the bows at the bottom of the range uh, are in play here. Obviously Bo knows best. So that's a wrap for the seven K range. Um, let's wrap this up and down bottom at the six K range. Like I said, like for me, 
I'm going to be pretty light here. I just don't think we have to dip down. I think there's some real stretches down here. The few guys that I'm looking at, I'll start us off. Um, oh, boy. Saying his name's going to get me. Dwight Vanderwalt. Um, you know, he's he's popping. You know, he's he's been decent recently. He's got, you know, um, three top 20s in his last five. Now, granted, these aren't, you know, PGA Tour events, but we're comparing him to a lot of guys who are in the 8 and 7K range, 9K range, who are also playing in these same tournaments. So, um, I think he's in play as just like, you know, getting the, the, the much – salary savings to cram in those top guys. I like Cameron Percy. This is the type of event where Percy, you know, should excel, right? Obviously he's going to struggle against Justin Thomas and Rory, but he doesn't have to worry about those guys here. He's a seasoned PGA tour guy in the six K range. I think he's someone we can play. Um, Other than that, I'm probably, maybe I'll mention Vaughn Taylor, uh, but for the most part, I'm going to try and not dip too much lower than that this week for me. Uh, Spence, how about you? Who are you looking at down here? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you need to get down to this range now. If you do, I think there are options you can rotate in and out of lineups. I wouldn't be using any of these players as like cores into my build, but I do think that there are a handful of guys. I agree with you on Cameron Percy. I just think he's priced too cheaply. I don't necessarily love his upside, but we can get a top 40 out of him. That that probably makes him a better cash play than anything else, but um, he's definitely too too low priced at 6,900. Camilo Vajegas, 6,800. I mentioned him um, previously when talking about that par four scoring at this course, but these are the kind of venues where he can thrive because of his short iron numbers. Uh, Kurt Kitayama, 6,800. He's going to be under 2% owned, 19th in my model when it comes to short iron proximity, 7th overall in approach. Chase Seifert, 6,600 is the second biggest differential when it comes to projected price and actual price. He's top 25 in my model in wind, short courses, slow Bermuda, and weighted par four. Austin Smotherman, 6,600, is on the fringe of making or missing the cut in my model. But I do think we can take a flyer at him at less than 1% ownership. The upside outweighs the floor. Uh, Sean O'Hare, 6,600, is probably also in play at sub 1%. Top 50 in my model. There's always going to be miscut potential with O'Hare, but he does randomly pop at venues like this. Dylan Wu, 6,500. He took one of the biggest jumps in my model when I removed par five scoring altogether. I've said this already, but the par fives are easy and gettable. If we get an outlier performance from him on those, he looks great in the other areas. Uh, John Pock, 6,500 is one of the last projected made cuts that I have in this group. It's close to 50-50, but you know, the ownership's low enough that if you want to throw a dart, I, I don't hate it on him. And then the lowest I would go would be David Lingmurth at 6,200. I have a proper price on him being 6,900. So there seems to be about $700 of a discount, but at two to 3%, you can easily get massively overweight on him if, if you, even if you just double that ownership in your build. So uh, I wouldn't play a ton of him, but it's not going to take much to find yourself in a different tier with David Lingmurth exposure. And he's very volatile. I mean, he may go out and be 10 over par on this course and like all of a sudden you're out of it. But I do think he possesses the upside where he randomly pops. And when he does pop, he competes. Uh, so at two to 3% ownership, $6,200, I don't hate throwing him in as like a dart throw flyer, but it, it's going to carry a lot of volatility to it. Yeah, I think that's fair. So yeah, who, who are you looking at down here? 
there's four guys that I have, and I think I'm only going to play one of them, but I think four are worth mentioning. I'll mention the first three, and then I'll mention the guy I'm actually probably going to be playing. Luke Donald is a pretty good course fit. I don't mind him here. Uh, J.J. Spawn, now we're in flyer range, but I think J.J. Spawn could make the cut here, has some upside. Chase Seifert, uh, again, could make the cut, has some upside. I think the guy that will make the cut is a guy you guys have already mentioned. It's Cameron Percy. Um, I think his two finishes here were 26th and 48th, which again, in this price range is pretty good. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not expecting a top 10 out of anybody in the 6K range in this tournament. I agree with Spencer. You don't want to be in this range at all. I think the lowest you want to go is that Bo Hogue, Bo Hostler, that 7K, 71 of Jason Duffner. We talked about a lot of those guys in the low 7K range that we like. Um, but Percy is, I mean, listen, he can't putt. Cameron Percy cannot putt, unfortunately. If he's somehow just like slightly negative with the putter. Let me tell you what he's done on approach. Again, he doesn't play every tournament. So this dates back to like June. But if we just go back over his, I'm ballparking it, last seven or eight tournaments. Now, just keep in mind, off the tee, you know, he's been okay, but he's not going to need distance. He's not a distance guy. Around the green, he's basically a zero. And putter, he's basically, you know, on average, I mean, it's pretty bad. He's losing, you know, two to three strokes over the last, I don't know, seven, eight tournaments. But let me just tell you approach real quick. At the Fortinet, he actually lost minus 0.14. The tournaments right before that that he played gained 4.87 on approach, gained 6.97 on approach, gained 2.38 on approach, gained 4.70 on approach, gained 0.93, gained point, uh, excuse me, 4.07. I mean, this is these are massive approach numbers. So if, if you're emphasizing approach here and you want to just try to get lucky with the putter, he's got the around the green game. He doesn't need the distance. I mean, he makes a lot of sense here. Yeah, I, I, I think that's uh, those are some strong points. And with those approach numbers, those are really strong approach numbers for this price. I think uh, he's definitely worth taking a shot on. The one it's thing like, I- it's, it's like what we were talking about with Kyle Stanley last week, right? He was 6,200, and I'm like, I'm playing him. Like, hopefully he gets lucky with the putter. And he, he did okay. He was, he was okay. Him and Sean Norris were our guys in that low, low range. Norris was better than Stanley. But the point is, the, the whole argument was, wow, look at this ball striking. If he could just somehow be okay with the putter, we've got something here at, at 6,200. Well, 6,200 in that tournament is 6,900 in this tournament. And that that's just like the bottom line. And I was going to say the biggest difference is that against those top golfers in the world, it's different, right? Like a lot of these guys can't putt. So it's not like, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to have to worry about, you know, there's not going to be that many guys dropping 30-foot putts all week because – a lot of these guys are more similar to him. So I think it's a more of an advantage this week to take someone like that because I just don't think uh, he has less to compete with. So I think right. for that reason, some of those putting woes won't hurt him as much. That's a good point. When you're losing one stroke putting at the Wyndham, you're basically probably gaining one stroke in this field, but maybe more. You know, it's just one of those things. That's a good point. The yeah, last one I'll, I'll add to the 6K range just because Sia – I was I had a note that said, oh, we forgot I forgot to mention one guy. I didn't see him mention him. So JJ Spawn, I also like, you know, again, not someone I love, I wouldn't go crazy on, but JJ Spawn is another 6K range that is playable. Spencer, go ahead. No, I was just gonna just mention the Cameron Percy thing with it. Like on my overall rank in my model, he's 19th. Uh he has the negative trajectory of that model of like the gpps he gets worse than them the cash games he gets better but for a cash rank for me he's 16th overall i mean i think that's exactly what you're trying to find from somebody down in this range and as you guys are saying like once you go lower than this all of a sudden you start kind of pushing the limits of how far you can actually go because the bottom of this board drops off drastically 
I, I mentioned a bunch of people that I do like if you get desperate in a certain range, and I do think you can throw them in. But once you get past Percy, I mean, that's kind of like the last guy that's a, I don't want to call him like a super value, but he is the biggest value by far. Like it's Hogue, and then it's him, and then it's everybody else after that. Can I just say, um, this is so representative of what the Bermuda Championship is. And it's not a knock because you, we, we got a deep dive somewhere. But we are 50 minutes into the show. 10 of those minutes were spent on Cameron Percy and Sahith Thigala. <laughs> you're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that goes to show you what we're working with this week. But, 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 there is a big but. The but to it is... I, like from someone who breaks down these tournaments on a weekly basis and I'm pretty invested every week, you know, I'm looking at this as like, I think this is a good thing. I think we found some edges that like a lot of times it's more like, you know, I'm thinking this and now I feel like it's, it's clear. It's like, listen, these guys below the 68 number are not even playable. They're right. removing a large portion of this field. Right? And I'm pretty convinced on that. And like, right. And then we're going to like Cameron Burst season. So you think I like, these are guys that I can have a little bit more conviction on because, you know, I don't have to worry about John Rahm going 30 under and just blowing the field up because that mm-hmm. doesn't exist here. So I think it's a good thing for us. And I think it's, it means that we can go out there and make some money this week. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, while we already know we're cashing big on the DFS side, right? How are we taking down Vegas, right? So Spencer lives there. You're going to probably take all the real heat from the guys we take the money from. But what about what are the bets we're going to make to get us there? Um, let's start in the outright markets, Ben. Yeah, so I kind of have a handful, and, and I'm beginning my card with Guido Migliozzi at 40 to 1. That's going to be the highest guy or the lowest guy, however, which way you want to look at it, at uh, 40 to 1. Steven Yeager, 55 to 1. Harry Hall, 65 to 1. Aaron Rye, 66 to 1. Bo Hogue, 90 to 1. Kramer Hickok, 90 to 1. And I did throw two very small wagers that are less. And, and those uh, six guys are 0.68 units to all win eight units on that. So I have a little bit of room left. And, and I ended up just making some small wagers on Alex Smalley and Nick Hardy. I like it. I like it. See, who are you looking at in the, uh, in the outright market? So this is a guy I'm not going to be playing in DFS for reasons we stated earlier, but I I will take him at 35 to one because he is in pretty good form and that's Adam Hadwin. So I'll start there. Not a super fun number, but it gets a little bit more fun from there. I'm going to take Sahith Tagala at 50 to one, uh, Mark Hubbard at 60 to one, Bo Hogue at 65 to one. And then I'll take a shot at Kramer Hickok. We're capturing some magic at 90 to one. I like it. Uh, for me, uh, I'm gonna make my home run swing for the week is gonna be on Brian Stewart at 90 to one, um, and then you know some of the more realistic plays that I like. I think I like I can I find Ryan Armore interesting at 55 to one. Uh, I'm with you guys on Thigala. I, I almost prefer Thigala as like an outright ticket because I think he's one of those boomer bust like he's gonna win the tournament or miss the cut type guys. But um, you know I, I like 50 to one's a really good number for him here. And then going up to the top on the favorites that I like, I'm going to take a swing on Patrick Reed at 20 to one. I I heavily considered Reed and just building this card differently. I ended up going a different route just because I do think you can play Reed on DFS and try to create leverage that way. And then Stewart and Thigala were the two next closest misses that I had. So, I mean, the card's pretty similar in that sense, even if uh, I don't have those three guys on my card. 
And real quick, speaking of your card, um, we, we do have a handful of people watching, maybe a little bit more than a handful on, on again, the Windaily Sports Video Hub, where we have all of our content and our YouTube page. So we can see who's watching on YouTube. So for those of you that are watching on YouTube, um, please hit the like button. But also, anybody listening, go to the Better Golf Pod as well, which Spencer does sometimes with Nick, sometimes with a special guest, sometimes by himself. He actually gives out pretty much his whole, I think not maybe not even pretty much, maybe his entire card, top 40, top 20. That's where you kind of gain a lot of hay in the betting market. I mean, the outrights and first round leaders are kind of fun, a little gimmicky. Um, we do hit them sometimes, uh, especially Spencer. But the top 40, top 20, that's where you're kind of like really getting some good money in there. So definitely, if you're not already subscribed to the Better Golf Pod, please do so. Hit the like button here and make sure you listen to that show for all the Bermuda Championship uh, bets. And a fun thing I like to do with the outright tick or the top 20 and 40 things are if there's a guy that I like in DFS and I'm having a hard time fitting in, I'm like, you know, I really think he might, but I don't know. I just, I'll put a ticket in, I'll bet on him. So if it ends up coming to fruition, at least I'm still making money on it. If I didn't make my DFS lineups, well, at least I'm exposed. I, I'll hit if he, if he does well and it won't feel like I just completely whip. So something to think right. about as well. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the advantage that you can gain in the betting market, like it's the one thing I always stretch stress over and over and over again is bet the top forties, make the head to head bets, the outrights, the first round leaders. Like, yeah, I, I got hot and hit six of 15 of them, you know, of the last 15 tournaments that we've played, but that's not where you're usually getting your money. It's like week in week out grind of the head to head wagers, uh, the top 40 bets. And yeah, Nick usually does the show with me. Um, he's doing football right now. He's crushing the content for win daily on that. He's going to be back shortly. We're going to try to get him back now or at some point now that the bye weeks have set in, but yeah, you can follow the show at the better golf pod on Twitter. For sure. Check it out. Love it. Uh, now out of the kindness of our hearts, we are all going to make you all very rich, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to say, listen, you can take all your life savings, mortgage your home, Put it on the first round leader bet because when the first round ends on Thursday night and that bet hits and then you become a rich man, you just all we ask is that you come back and you say thank you. That's it. You That's don't have it. anything else in return. Just come back and say thank you. So without further ado, I'll kick us off on the first round leader market today. Um, my first long shot is going to be Camilo Villegas at 80 to 1. Uh, and then as we scroll up, I like Brian Stewart at 71. I like Vander Walt at 70 to 1. Uh, I like Nick Taylor in that same range. Jason Duffner at 60 to 1. And the final play on my first round leader card is going to be Denny McCarthy at 50 to 1. Uh, Spence, who are you looking at here? Yeah, so Chase Seifert, 100 to 1. Brian Stewart, 70 to 1. Hank Lebiota, 60 to 1. Kramer Hickok, 80 to 1. David Lingmurth, 125 to 1. And Bo Hogue, 65 to 1. I like it. I like it. And see ya. Tell her. So, okay, let's see. How many do I have here? I have five that I'm going to give out. This is actually not unprecedented. What not unprecedented what I'm about to do because I've done it once before. But okay, so here's the thing. By the way, uh, Joel, there was somebody you said that I love, Jason Duffner. I love that. I'm definitely adding that to my card, but I'm not gonna say it in these five. Okay, so let me give you the three. By the way, all of these are Thursday AM guys except for one, and I'll tell you who that is. But that's where I think maybe the advantage is on Thursday. So just keep that in mind. It could absolutely change. Get into the Wind Daily Sports Discord. We'll be talking about it all tomorrow night just to make sure we're all on the same page there. But uh, let's start with Bo Hostler at 65 to 1. Ben Crane at 130 to 1. 
I know that's just a random name, but we'll see. Cam, uh, Cameron Percy at 80 to 1. Okay, so so far, Cameron Percy 80 to 1, Ben Crane 130 to 1, Bo Hostler 65 to 1. The one that doesn't have the AMT time on Thursday, I believe, is, is Cameron Percy. I think he's in the afternoon. However, I've got two more for you. And they're both the breaking news because they're going to be tied for first place at the end of Thursday at the Bermuda Championship. There is going to be only a two-way tie between these two gentlemen who are both 60 to 1, who can get red hot on approach and can get hot with the putter and the short game. It's none other than, again, a tie for first place at the Bermuda Championship. I'm telling you this on October 26th on Tuesday night at 9.03 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Your tie in the first round at the Bermuda Championship is none other than at 60 to 1, both of them, Bo Hoke and Mark Hubbard. Wow. Mark Hubbard, Bo Hogue, they will be in a tie for first place at the end of Thursday. You can take one of them. You can take both just for safety purposes. But one of them is definitely hitting. But it's it's most likely like a 95% chance that these guys are tied at, at, at first place. Could you imagine what the odds would be if they offered you to bet that they will actually both tie for the lead? That's the only you would get a bazillion to one odd. Spencer's the, the Sheldon of our group. I'm sure he could calculate those odds. Yeah. 60 to 1 by 60 to 1 or whatever it is. It would be an ungodly amount. So look, maybe we'll reach out to uh, to DraftKings or William Hill sure. or, or Caesars now or whatever. There's different books out there. I mean, this is more of an offshore thing, but you can request prices at some places. So, you know, you might, you might become a millionaire from this tournament. <laughs> I'll tell so, you what, if we get ahead. that bet put on that you can place, I will legitimately put $100. You know what I did the other day? Um, and I think that I'm trying to remember what the European event is this week. I, and I tweeted about it. I actually took a guy from whatever it might've been the Shriners. I took like an outright and I parlayed it with what, whatever the European tour event was. And it was just for fun, but it was like, I put like three bucks on it. No joke. And I think I like put the ticket on Twitter. It was three bucks and it was like a 50 to one guy and like a 30 to one guy. And it paid like $9,000. Yeah. It was something absurd. And it was so fun just to <laughs> consider because like if one of them happens to be in like a big lead, then you start hedging the other way. Like obviously it's ridiculous and it, it almost is impossible. But I think those are fun things to do just to like be able to talk about it and see it, see it in your account. I mean, Spencer would be like, you know, you're just flushing money down the toilet. That's not how you bet <laughs> as a professional, but whatever. It's fun. And um, Mark Hubbard, Boho, you're welcome, America. Well, you have the inside track to it. So knowing that now, now it's a good bet. See? <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love it. Well, there it is. We gave you guys all the keys to get rich. All you have to do is take them and put all your money on it. And boom, you're rich. It really is that easy. It's, not <sighs> it's so easy. It's pretty simple. So I mean, um, good luck this week. It's going to be a fun tournament. If you can watch it, it's a beautiful course. It's going to be a lot of fun to, to check out. And then come back next week. Let us know how much you won. That's right. And did, uh, I, did I miss something, sir? Well, so it, well, what we missed really, um, we didn't get to all the comments. So I think it's it's prudent upon me as as the guy who kind of checks the comments to uh, let's see here. So somebody named Isaiah might be a Win Daily, right? I'm not sure. Great show, guys. Dot dot dot. Lots of good info. Dot dot dot. And. Um, Sports. Sports? Sports. That's right.